This afternoon I preach to you the word of God as it is summarized and confessed by the church in the Heidelberg Catechism. And you can see uh, this Lord's Day 32. And that's in the book of praise on page 548. Page 548. It's the third part of the catechism. The first part talks about our sins and misery. And the second part about our deliverance. And then the third part, which starts at Lord's Day 32, talks about our thankfulness. So following the division of Romans as well, the book of Romans, and explaining what it is we believe, what we live, and what we would die for as well. Uh, We now come to the confession of the church about our thankfulness in Lord's Day 32. Here the church confesses, since we have been delivered from our misery by grace alone, through Christ, Without any merit of our own, why must we yet do good works? Because Christ, having redeemed us by his blood, also renews us by his Holy Spirit to be his image, so that with our whole life we may show ourselves thankful to God for his benefits, and he may be praised by us. Further, that we ourselves may be assured of our faith by its fruits, And that by our godly walk of life, we may win our neighbors for Christ. Can those be saved who do not turn to God from their ungrateful and impenitent walk of life? By no means, Scripture says that no unchaste person, idolater, adulterer, thief, greedy person, drunkard, slanderer, robber, or the like, shall inherit the kingdom of God. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the traveler whose name was Onesimus, was making his way back to his wealthy employer, whose name was Philemon. And in the past, there had been a break in their relationship, and now as he drew near to Colossae, Onesimus hoped that peace would return to their situation. In Onesimus' hand was a letter from a prisoner that he had met in his travels. Onesimus could still remember the chains holding that old man down as if the prisoner would try to escape. But the prisoner, whose name was Paul, was not like that. Paul was a faithful servant of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul had treated Onesimus as a dear son, and Onesimus was pleased that Paul could call him a faithful brother in the Lord now. The traveler looked up to his destination and with thoughts of the tension between himself and Philemon, he realized that it was their common faith that was his only hope to be welcomed back. Indeed, that was what the letter in his hand was all about. It was an attempt at reconciliation that was based on common faith. It was a beautifully written letter. It was a compelling letter that did not 
make demands. It was a, a letter that urgently, uh, or was urging obedience, but did not force it. A letter calling for Christians to do good works out of conviction and not compulsion. Brothers and sisters, children, do, do you know what was written in that letter in that traveler's hand? You know where you can read it as well. We just read it together. It's the book called Philemon. It's the passage we just read together. It was a letter that was delivered from one man to another many, many years ago. And today we will look at this letter in connection with our confession as we have that in Lord's Day 32 of the Heidelberg Catechism. I preached to you the gospel of Jesus Christ under this theme and you can find it in verse 14. In Christ, the good works you do will be done of your own accord, not by compulsion. In Christ, the good works you do will be done of your own accord and not by compulsion. As we read the letter, it's good again to have it open in front of you. You may have noticed that the big question has to do with how Philemon ought to treat Onesimus. And skimming through the first verses of Philemon, we see that although Paul was now in prison, probably in Rome, he and Philemon had been brothers in Christ Jesus for a while. You could see that in the first verses, Paul calls Philemon a beloved fellow worker who had opened his home as a meeting place for the church. Philemon was a faithful believer whose faith in Christ Jesus and whose love for the saints was being heard even outside the borders of the city of Colossae. For he was sharing the faith, and as he shared the faith, he was also growing in his understanding of what he believed to be true. As a side note, that's verse six. That's a very important thing. As we share our faith, we also grow in our faith together. We also gather from the letter that Onesimus had served Philemon in some way in the past, that either as a slave or, or perhaps even as an employee, Onesimus, whose name means useful, had done something to make Philemon consider him useless. You see that in verse 11. Perhaps he had done something unkind. Perhaps he had stolen something and he needed to be paid back. You could see that in verse 18. Because verses 12 to 16 give indications that Onesimus had separated himself from Philemon and that Philemon was not legally required to restore him to his position, many interpreters think that Onesimus had actually been a runaway slave. In any case, it seems clear that while Onesimus was apart from Philemon, his employee, employer, Onesimus was introduced to the faith and he became a Christian. But because of what he had done to Philemon in the past, not everyone was sure what to expect of him. All Philemon's Roman neighbors, they would simply punish a guy like Onesimus. 
It would give him harder work to do, or if he really was a runaway slave, they, they might even brand him. They would put a big F, they would burn it right into his skin, F for fugitivist or a fugitive, or they even sometimes welded collars around runaway slaves. So they would be like a dog on a leash. It was very, uh, very, it was very shameful. That's what the Romans around his Philemon's non-Christian neighbors may have done to Onesimus. Now Paul and Timothy are writing this letter. They would like Philemon to take a different approach than his non-Christian neighbors would. Not only because Philemon is a Christian, but also because Onesimus, who used to be just a bondservant, is now a Christian and a brother in the Lord as well. You see that in verse 16. It's in this context that Paul informs Philemon that he, as an apostle, has the right to command Philemon to do what is required. That's verse 8. He has the right as an apostle to command Philemon to do what is required. To say it another way, the gospel preacher, the great preacher of salvation by grace alone in Christ Jesus could tell a fellow redeemed Christian that since he has been redeemed from the law of God as something oppressive, he is yet required to live in a certain way. He is required to treat his employees in a certain way. Requirement, obligation, you must I command you. Now as we are fighting against legalism where life is just a bunch of laws, some Christians have that, Christian life is all about obeying a list of laws or moralism or preaching is just a to-do, to-do of how you should be. Uh, Another Arminianism that we can uh, enter into God's presence based on our own works or, or any other teaching that deludes people into thinking that they must do something to contribute to their own salvation as we're fighting against this teaching, then we might get a little bit confused by verse 8 in Philemon. We may ask what we ask in the Catechism, Lord's Day 32. If we are saved in Christ, by grace alone, apart from any of our own works, how can Paul place an obligation on Philemon to behave in a certain way? Or as the catechism asks, why must a Christian do good works? Why must a Christian live according to the Ten Commandments of God that teaches us to love God and love our neighbor? Are Christians who are redeemed completely by Christ still required to live in a certain way? But then when we hear it said that way, we, we see very quickly how ridiculous it is to say that there's no law after grace. In fact, we learn that grace can be seen exactly when we obey the obligations of the law which call us to love God and love our neighbor. James 2 touches on this subject, showing us that if we claim to have faith in Christ, it will affect, it will shape our lives. In his sermons on the mount and on the plain, our Lord Jesus Christ, he took a lot of time to explain 
what the commandments look like in the life of redeemed Christians. He commands his people to live according to the commandments as he himself did during all the time he lived on the earth. Jesus Christ says in John 15 that we are to remain in him. And that's similar to Paul's command when Paul says, keep in step with the Holy Spirit. We're all commanded to let our light shine before men. If we look at Ephesians chapter 5, we read of Christ's sacrifice for us, which makes us holy in God's sight. Holy means without sin. In God's sight, we're holy because of Christ's sacrifice. And then immediately after that, we are warned to avoid those things which are improper for God's holy people. And then again, the Apostle Paul takes the church through the instruction of the Ten Commandments. Love God and love your neighbor. And then we see, brothers and sisters, even if it is known that our good works cannot save us, even if it's known that, that these are not things that there are something we can do to, to get into God's presence, they are still things that we ought to do. That's what Paul is saying to Philemon. We ought to do some things exactly because we have been transformed by the Holy Spirit. The command of the New Testament, good works, are being who Christ made you to be. And so we see the order. Since you are God's holy people, through Christ's redeeming work, the Holy Spirit renews you to do what is fitting for the people of God. Philemon had a Christian obligation to his slave Onesimus, who had become a believer and a brother in the Lord, because they had both been transformed by the Holy Spirit, because they had both been given a desire to love the triune God with all their heart and with all their soul and all their mind and all their strength. If we compare it to a tree, a fruit tree, and, and, and we are the branches, then the roots and the trunk can be compared to God's work, God's gracious work. And then come the branches, and then out of the branches, out of the believers, come the fruit, the good works. The good works are fruit of God's work in our lives. Good works are the result of our connection to Jesus Christ. Good works are the fruit of our love for our Savior. Nevertheless, Christians do not just do good works because they have to, because they belong to Christ. It's not something that still comes onto our plate as an obligation. We better do this. If we believe and if we understand that he saves us, then all of a sudden it becomes our greatest delight in life to do what pleases him, to do what glorifies his name. When the Holy Spirit fills our hearts, we begin to love obeying God. We begin to love showing our love for him in what we do. A husband who is truly thankful to be married to his wife 
and who truly loves his wife will also want to do nice things for her because of his love for her, even though it won't change their marital status, which is declared by law. Look at how Paul presents the matter to Philemon. Although in other places Paul uses his authority as an apostle to command someone to do something, in his letter to Philemon there's no language of compulsion. There's no language of constraint or coercion. He does not appeal to Roman law, nor does he make his demands as an office bearer. Paul simply places this whole situation with Onesimus in the greater context of Christ's love for us and his work that changes our hearts. That should be enough. You need workers, we need stuff. We should just say, look at what Christ has done for you. And so it's an appeal and not a command. He's urging him to let love show itself without demanding him to behave in a certain way. And then we come to verse 14. So that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. Yes, Philemon has an obligation as a Christian, but it's important that he wants to fulfill this obligation. Paul's giving a principle here. It's not just that Christians do the right thing because they have to, but Christians do the right thing because they, they want to. Reminds me of a time and I went golfing with somebody. We went to the pro shop where you, where you go to pay and the man said, hey, you're, you're, here, you're back here again. Why don't you ever come on Sunday? He said, well, I can't because I have to go to church. So I can't come and play golf on, on Sunday. It's kind of a sad answer, isn't it? I'm not here on Sunday because I don't want to be here on Sunday. The Holy Spirit changes our desires. He changes what we, we want to do. I'm not here on Sunday because I want to glorify my Savior. I want to obey Him. I want to show my love for Him. And if you're just doing good works, if I could put it that way, good works, if you're just obeying what God has showed us, shown to us as the, as the way to live, if you're just doing these good works because you feel you have to, then it's time to refocus your attention on Jesus Christ and on his work because there's a good chance you've forgotten who you are and what he has done. It's time to think again. What has my Savior done for me? Who am I? And then we see how the Holy Spirit guides us once again to have lives that fit the gospel that we claim to believe. He makes us want to live according to the truth. If you look at the catechism, you can see that it, it, it speaks in this way. In the question, it asks, why must we do good works? And then in the answer, it states not only because Christ has redeemed us, that affirms 
the fact that there is an obligation, but also so that we may show ourselves thankful to God. It's, it's our privilege. Christ redeems us, and now we may show our thankfulness to God. Why do you good work, do good works? It's a privilege I have. The Holy Spirit changes who I am. Part of God's grace to us is the grace of giving us the desire to want to serve him. The desire to serve him. Christians find it a delight to obey God's law by doing good works because their hearts have been changed by the Holy Spirit. And now they actually want to glorify God rather than themselves. So what is the relationship then between Christian duty and Christian freedom? Paul ends his letter saying to Philemon in verse 21, confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. Because of this amazing work in the life, uh, the amazing work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of Christians, Paul can be certain that if Philemon is a true Christian, he will do the right thing, even if he does not receive a single extra command from Paul. If a Christian knows of a need, he will address that need in some way. Not because he has to, but because in Christ he cannot do otherwise. Because his eyes are on his Savior, Jesus Christ. Because his heart is overflowing with that newness of life. As believers, we must trust the Holy Spirit as we also trust one another as members of Christ. That's beautiful in verse 21. You see the trust that Paul has for the recipient, recipients of, of the letter. As Christians, we need to learn not only the value and delight of obeying God's will and doing good works, but also the importance of trusting that our brothers and sisters who serve the same Lord Jesus Christ, that they will do the same. We can use Onesimus' life as an example. Before Onesimus was a Christian, he was forced to serve in Philemon's house as a slave. Although this may not have been a bad situation for him in terms of food and shelter and, and clothing, he was not permitted to be free. He was stuck there, serving that household, and he had to stay there and do much work. When Onesimus was in Rome, he was actually free from the oversight of his master. He could have stayed there on his own just like Paul wanted him to because his master did not have physical control over him anymore. And yet, because Onesimus was a Christian, he was compelled to return to Philemon and seek reconciliation. Returning home, Onesimus and Paul needed to trust that Philemon would do the right thing out of his own heart as well. And neither Onesimus or Philemon were actually compelled by outside forces to do what was required of them, but they were compelled by their own hearts. They were compelled because the Holy Spirit changed who they were. And both of them had to trust that the other person as well was being led by the Holy Spirit. 
And we see, brothers and sisters, how that transformation of heart, it changes us as a people of God. It changes how we, what we, how we look at one another. We, we could trust one another to, to do the right thing, to, to do what is required because there's been a change on the inside. Although during the time of instruction and discipline while we are children, we may need to learn to serve the Lord through the use of the law and obligation. And it's important to see that Paul many times does use his uh, authority as an apostle to command someone to do something. We also see that as mature believers in the Lord, we are compelled by our love for Jesus Christ. That love that's put in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And even though we cannot do this perfectly because of sin, when we believe in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit goes to work in your sinful heart. He does that even as we sit underneath the preaching of the Word and He works in our heart through the Word. He helps us to fight against our sinful nature. He leads us to confess our sins. He works in us that knowledge that you need to show your thankfulness to Christ by telling the truth, for example, the truth about who you are and what you need to do. He shows you the path. He makes your path straight before you. When we look at this letter, Philemon, we think of our confession, we come back to the question, so why must we do good works? And we see that the question is being asked because many people have the impression that that's the only way to get into heaven. But the catechism says that those who are redeemed are also renewed by God's Spirit. Why must we do good works? Because we're redeemed. Because the Holy Spirit lives in our hearts. Because we have the desire to show our love for our Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to the triune God with, with our bodies, with our minds, with, with our mouths. And then we have the promise that we can have confidence that the Spirit will work good through, through the believers, even in the midst of, of a teaching of Christian freedom. Sometimes it happens when someone says, well, trust your brother to do the right thing. And then there comes in the fear. They say, well, if you just give freedom, then they'll just do whatever they want. They, they, won't, they won't obey God's word anymore. A balance between Christian freedom and Christian duty. And the Bible says, and let's encourage one another to look more and more to Jesus Christ, to embrace Christ more and more in our lives. And as we embrace Christ in our lives, then that transformation takes takes effect. Do you love Jesus Christ? Do you love the gospel of salvation? The gospel we could celebrate this morning also around the Lord's Supper table. That fellowship you have with the triune God. Do you love what we profess to be true? And how do you show that? And so we have an answer to what we confess. We show that by showing our love to God and to our neighbor. Let's encourage one another 
in these things. Let's be led by the Holy Spirit in his renewing work so that more and more we want to do good works in thankfulness to God for the assurance of our faith to win our neighbor for Christ. Christ who saved us without any merits of our own. Amen.